Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. No light. Without light, there's no path from this darkness. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. It's a church. Mother Emanuel Amy Church in South Carolina, as there's the President of the United States, flanked by Representative James Clyburn, who I don't know if you caught him over the weekend. You want to talk about some maddening comments. You take a look at the shooting that took place in 2015 that led to the death of nine. Nine people were killed. And it is undoubtedly true that that shooting took place because, I don't use shooter names, wanted to kill black people. That's fact. But it's Trump's fault? Is it fair to tie in any way what happened at the Emanuel AME Church to Donald Trump? Donald Trump had barely launched his campaign when that attack happened. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jake. I think it is very clear uh, that Donald Trump's utterances uh, way back before Charlottesville, or at the time of Charlottesville, ties him uh, to uh, what happened uh, at Mother Emanuel. Do you know how deranged you have to be to say that? You have to be Jim Clyburn deranged. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, I don't know if I gave the number or not, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. It's a disgusting thing to say. It's a complete and total lie. Trump was not in office. He had, as Jake Tapper pointed out, nothing to do with it whatsoever. But you cannot stop these bigots, and I'm calling Jim Clyburn a bigot, these hateful people from not engaging honestly, but engaging solely and wholly in fear-mongering and increasing racial divides because that's how they believe they can win. Disgusting. Let's go back to the same church where Joe Biden is, and Joe Biden is getting heckled. This happened today. Joe Biden is getting heckled, but did you hear what the heckler said? You should, if you really believe in peace and seeing the light, you should call for a ceasefire in Palestine. From that one statement, you understand the hatred involved. And let me be perfectly clear that anti-Semitism in the United States is okay with Joe Biden, is on the rise because of Joe Biden. Joe Biden is at fault. Joe Biden is guilty. Now you say to me, Tony, you can't really say that. Sure I can. Every bit of racial strife was Donald Trump's fault. Joe Biden is president, and I have got high schoolers 
playing basketball where the opposing team is screaming, I support Hamas. Not I support the people of Gaza. Not we should uh, stop the killing. I support Hamas. Joe Biden's America has open, aggressive anti-Semitism. And it wasn't just I support Hamas. One of the teams had a player screaming, I support Hamas, you blanking Jew. If they had said, I support whatever, you blanking N-word, let me ask the following question. How many hosts on MSNBC would have a heart attack? All of them? Is that the correct answer? All of them. But this can happen. Whatever. That's Joe Biden's America. That is Joe Biden's Jew-hating America. I said it. I meant it. I apologize to absolutely no one. That's the country he created. But let's see how it goes. That's all right. That's all right. Maybe it's because it's a church, but nobody punched these people in the face and dragged them out. That's too bad, if you ask me. That's really too bad. You see, the protesters have now gotten to the place where they have blocked the Holland Tunnel. The Holland Tunnel connects New Jersey and New York. I've been through the Holland Tunnel many times. Blocking the Holland Tunnel. How is this even allowed? Not only are they doing it, but the cops are protecting them. They're blocking bridges. Lift the siege on Gaza. U.S., stop arming Israel. You understand that what these people want are dead Jews. They want Israel destroyed. They aren't looking for peace. They're looking for the destruction. If they favored Hamas surrendering, oh my gosh, that would work. Because then you could actually have peace if Hamas was gone. Gone, you could actually have peace. It would take a little while, but you can get there. Can't get there with a terrorist organization that wants to destroy a country. This came to a head for me as I was reading a piece over at National Review. I read a lot of different things, sometimes because I think they're right, sometimes because I think they're wrong. The anti-Israel hooligans have lost the plot, the story goes, from Judson Berger. And it's um, how these protesters, they're not trying to put an end to fighting. They're trying to put an end to Israel. Just like you heard uh, that child there. I don't know how old that woman is, but uh, when you're that moronic, I call you a child. Um, stop uh, the, the, the fighting in, in Palestine. There is no Palestine. There is no Palestine. It's Israel. So it's an admission that you want Israel not to exist. Zionism is anti-Semitic. Hamas and long live the resistance. This from people uh, marching in New York. 
Yemen, Yemen, make us proud, turn another ship around. Because, of course, you have the Houthi rebels out of Yemen attacking ships in the Red Sea uh, and, and, and other places, changing the way they do shipping. They're keeping people hostage. So you're in favor of hostage taking. The point that this person, uh, this author makes, even if the marchers have lost their focus, nobody should forget that this is the conduct they justify, the any means they endorse. They have not lost the plot. This is the plot. The plot is Marxism. You want them to stay on message because you think they have a message. Of course they don't have a message. Not about Israel, not about Gaza. They couldn't find Gaza on a map, guys. You know it and I know it and they know it. The plot is the Marxism. Ask them. The people of Gaza are oppressed and Israel, the Jews, are the oppressor. There's no conversation about history. There's no conversation about um, uh, uh, logic. There's no conversation about the facts. I, I will give you an example of this. This took place in my beloved Indianapolis. Earlier today, there was a rally. All right, all of nine people showed up, but it might have been 32 people. It was a rally for a ceasefire in Gaza and an end to U.S. military aid to Israel from two groups, the Middle Eastern Student Association at a, at a school called IUPUI, which is now IU, Indiana University, Indianapolis, and Jewish Voice for Peace, Indiana. Now, understand that Jewish Voice for Peace has nothing to do with being Jewish. Nothing to do with being Jewish. It, 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 it is a group of commies. These are, are socialists from the word go, and the Judaism means nothing to them. They don't speak for Jews at all and in any way. I speak for more Jews than this group of nonsense commies. They speak for commies, not for Jews. I said it. I meant it. And they have a rally. I want, you to, I want to share with you what they write in their press release. The Indianapolis community will rally to demand that our federal, state, and local officials call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and an end to all military aid to Israel. We say, wake up, Indianapolis. We must not ignore the catastrophic conditions resulting from Israeli bombardment with the full support of our government and our tax dollars. They continue. For over 80 days, Gaza has been under near-constant bombardment and siege by the state of Israel. Over 22,000 Palestinians have been killed, with many thousand more still missing, buried under rubble. With lack of access to food and clean drinking water, the United Nations is reporting half of Gaza's population is at risk of starvation. Nowhere in their statement... Do they mention Hamas and the constant attacks on Israel? Nor do they mention the attack of October 7th. There is no mention of it. They don't care about that. That is not the part that matters. That's the part that they cheer. If you're not willing to accept how this began, 
How serious can you be? Well, why would you accept how it began? You're saying that it was justified because Israel has done this and Israel's done that and Israel's done the other. Kitten, throughout history, every nation has engaged in some crap. No one is perfect, and you can't create perfection. Your lie, this lie that you tell yourself about communism, that somehow you can create the utopia, you can't create a utopia. You believe in the destruction of another people. What utopia could you possibly create? I believe in the destruction of Hamas. What utopia can I create? Oh, no, no, no. I can't create utopia. I think you have a chance at peace, though. Yeah, there'll be some people in Gaza who always hate the Jews, and there are going to be some Israelis who always hate the people of Gaza. That's fine. Just don't go back killing one another. This is a civility conversation, in a, in a way. People mistakenly, foolhardily think that civility is please and thank you and opening the door for people. No, no, no. Civility is not killing your neighbor. Civility is allowing the minority to speak. Civility is not having a rabid minority think that it could overtake uh, a, a, a choir to majority. That's civility. People hate each other all the time. They work together. Bob Dole hated Jack Kemp, and Jack Kemp hated Bob Dole, and they ran for president and vice president together. These things happen all the time. But the idea that somehow you can create this wonderful, glorious society, what society are you talking about? Well, everything was fine uh, until uh, the white man showed up uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in North America. The tribes that lived here, the people that lived here, weren't killing each other and raping each other every chance? It was all just harmony? Have you not read a book? It's embarrassing at this stage of the game. But more than that, when you will not mention Hamas at all, you're saying that it doesn't matter. They, you think that, that uh, blocking bridges is losing the plot? No, no, no. This is all it is. This is all they know how to do. And why do we accept it? You know what happens when people block the, uh, a bridge or block a tunnel? They get run over. Keep driving. What happened to New Yorkers? Uh, I grew up in, in, in Jersey. I grew up in Jersey. All I heard were stories of New York. These people were supposedly tough. How tough could they possibly be? You're going to let a group of 30 protesters, all of them more beta male than the other one, including the women who won't admit that they're women. You're going to let them be in charge? Are you out of your mind? But all of this, all of this is because of Joe Biden, is because there is absolutely no moral clarity that comes from this White House. There's no moral clarity that comes from university campuses. There's no moral clarity that comes from elected leadership. Zero. Ah, shouldn't say zero. Just not enough. Just not enough. So they're blocking traffic. They're protesting the president. And they think that this is going to put an end to aid. I hope not. 
I really and truly hope not. But I hope you understand that um, the, uh, the fight in front of you and in front of your kids is not the fight against anti-Semitism, although I appreciate the support. It is the fight against Marxism. It is the fight against uh, this idea of occupied and occupier. It's that. It is about the destruction of America, of Western civilization, of decency, of rational thought. You think they're coming after Jews? No. They're coming after you. I'm Tony Katz. Her name is Stephanie Niles, and she'll be sitting in for Taylor Swift as the NFL's wag of choice. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Do they still use the term wag? Wives and girlfriends of NFL players? It's often referred to as wags. W-A-G-S. Not trying to be rude. That's the, the reference point that I know of. Well, Jake Browning, who is the backup quarterback in... Cincinnati for the Bengals, not bad, has a girlfriend by the name of Stephanie Niles. I didn't know this until all I saw all over social media and all over TV was this woman in a suite at the game in a white bodysuit with an orange hat, like a kind of floppy orange hat with the number six on on the bodysuit which is uh, Jake Browning's number. And then people said, uh, who's that? And that is Stephanie Niles, who said, hey, I'd like to be famous, and said, okay, this'll fit, and wore a completely white bodysuit. Um, this is the way. I was asked, I was having a cigar the other day, and I was asked what I think about name image likeness, NIL, name image likeness that allows these college players to get paid based on on who they are and their popularity. You take Olivia Dunn from LSU, the gymnast, she's making millions. Having nothing to do with gymnastics, of course. I mean, honesty is honesty. There, There are definitely guys who make money from the name image likeness, Arch Manning and others but are we going to pretend that in the vast majority of cases the women making money from NIL it's 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 not it's not for the sports it's it's not for the skill set Stephanie Niles is 4 seconds away from launching an OnlyFans This is the way. Show them how good you look. Get paid. Makes me think I got to pull out my white bodysuit. Oh, I look good. Uh, Okay, it looks like a two-body suit, right? That's, That's what it looks like. But so good. So good, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she'll be the new it girl. Until I can get back to Taylor Swift. We should talk about her at the Golden Globes tomorrow because that girl needs to learn how to laugh. I'm Tony Katz.
It is the Monday after the regular season of the NFL, which means coaches are getting fired all over the place. The Falcons coach has been fired. You already know that the Panthers got rid of coach Frank Reich. They have now gotten rid of their general manager. Uh, Ron Rivera has been fired from the Washington Commanders. That I'm actually a little bit surprised by, not giving the guy time to, I think, really build something because he proved he can... He can coach. He can do the job. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, JMV joins us. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, where in the state of Indiana, the focus is on the fact that the Colts could not get it done. They lose 23-19. to They are unable to get into the playoffs. They had Jonathan Taylor run for 188 yards. But on fourth and one, they throw it to Tyler Goodson in the flat, little screen, bloop, little screen, and he drops the ball. That's the story, but I don't know if that's really the right story. JMV, let's talk about this game from beginning to end. Offense, defense, special teams where you missed a field goal. You gave up a 75-yard touchdown from C.J. Stroud uh, to uh, Nico Collins on that very first play. Talk to break this down for me. What did you see from the Colts? Well, that's where it starts right there, too, is defense, defensively. Uh, you had C.J. Stroud. You knew he was going to be tough. You knew Nico Collins was going to be tough. And then you really didn't have to deal with a lot of other factors in that game. If you're, you know, that defense and Gus Bradley, even with a, a secondary that's without a, a great deal of veteran presence, you know, without a great deal of really anything, um, you knew who you had to deal with with and what's scary about that is if you had any focus whatsoever on Nico Collins I can't imagine what he would have done had you not had any focus or forgotten about him nearly 200 yards in receiving he and CJ Stroud they were the difference in that game now a lot of things when hey for the Colts at home there's no doubt about it but defensively defensively I start right there and and really was that first half Tony it was just such a discombobulated for the most part first half for this team they let the Texans get up get a little motivation, came out in the third quarter to the Colts, and you thought, wow, this is reminiscent of that Steeler game of the second half. You know, maybe this is what they're going to have, and that wasn't wasn't long-lasting. They get awful play from their quarterback. Uh, Their offense wasn't very good other than Jonathan Taylor. That was about it. And they get a, a really bad home loss. And then we forgot to add the fact that yesterday, Tony, Jacksonville loses in Nashville, so for the first time in nine seasons, had the Colts won Saturday night, they would have been AFC South Division champions and would be hosting a home playoff game on Saturday afternoon against the Cleveland Browns. All of that lost with that dismal effort and play we saw on Saturday night here. I want to bring it to Gardner Minshew. 13 for 24, 141 yards. I like him. I like his attitude. He can't do it. Is he back with the Colts next year? I, I think th- this is just me, and I thought he stunk because he, uh, he did stink. He stunk. Their offense besides Taylor stunk. But to answer your question, there's such a great unknown regarding Anthony Richardson and whether or not he's going to be sustainable here. I know everybody has these visions of greatness long term, and I'm not going to try to squash on that right now, but let's just face it. You don't know. So what do you need? You need a veteran backup just in case. And This has been really the season of backup presence. 
I mean, you've seen it with Joe Flacco coming in and playing in, in Cleveland. You've seen it in, in so many other places to try to remain relevant, sustainable, competitive. So I think it would be foolhardy for the Colts to really do anything else. I guess the question might be, Tony, is he going to get any market value out there, you know, just beyond the backup role? Um, I doubt after Saturday's game, if you're going to watch that tape, you're going to get any offers for any teams about being the, the starter, the number one any place. I think that it would be, to me, relatively, I'm going to say easy, it's probably not going to be, but relatively easy to bring him back in a backup role. And, in fact, I think he should be brought back in that backup role. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, I, I can accept it. I can. But there there's clearly an, an, an issue here with him seeing the play and, and making the play. But sometimes the, the, the passing game doesn't click. The running game did. 30 carries, 188 yards for Jonathan Taylor, only uh, 30 yards for Zach Moss, and I think you could have given him a heck of a lot more carries. Let's bring it to that last play. You've got fourth and one. You've been doing this on the ground. You've got 218 yards between Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. You've got an offensive line that was really humming right into the third quarter, and the, yeah, you had a, an injury and a timeout, and then all of a sudden they just kind of slowed down. But they were they were still able to move. You don't run it. You go with this play that clearly was designed. Shane Steichen had it in the bag where you're going to do this pass over to, 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 to Tyler Goodson, get a couple of yards for that screen pass, and that's how you're going to move forward. It doesn't work. Talk to me about the play. What's your take? Um, I, I, my take is it wasn't a bad decision in terms of the play that was called. Well, that was not a bad decision, um, and you could certainly have executed that on both ends and things could have been different. But it was a horrendous decision not to have 28 on the field. And I don't care in what capacity. And in fact, if you wanted to do something, I, you needed to go to, how should I put this, go-to guys. So Gardner Menchu to Tyler Goodson, that's what you're going to hang. Your season is in the balance, biggest play of the year. And that is the direction you're going to go while the best player on your team uh, the most defining player in terms of other teams preparing for and had a milestone game to that point. And by the way, Tony got injured and then came back out there. You're going to sit him on the sideline for that play. That, that decision is malpractice. The execution and the play call, I don't mind the play call. The execution was bad, but not have 28 in some capacity on the field as a decoy or utilizing him to me was absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Allow me to um, tell you how wrong you are, which <laughs> I never get to do. When you brought in Shane Steichen, because I think my take is different than a lot of people's. When you brought in Shane Steichen, this is exactly what you expected. You expected the guy who screws around on fourth down and tries to do the fake punt. You expected the guy to have the trick up his sleeve. You expected the guy who does the unexpected. It is not only clear that they had this this play ready to go. They had practiced this play. Tyler Goodson knew the play. Minshew knew the play. The pass was a little bit behind Taylor Good, uh, Tyler Goodson. It, that's not an excuse. Goodson should have caught it. And he didn't. But the idea that it had to have Jonathan Taylor on the field 
is nonsense. And anybody mad at Shane Steichen hasn't been watching this season? True or false? No, I think that's absolutely false. Tony, it is the way that it is defensively, when you're looking at the other offense, there are some guys that are going to get your attention. Rick Venturi has told me this forever. Some guys, he calls them ambient players, they're going to get your attention because you want to know where they are and what they're doing whenever they're on the field against you. And 28 is that. I'm not at all suggesting the play wasn't a good call, and I'm not at all suggesting they haven't practiced it over and over again. The things I question would, again, not having the threat in any capacity whatsoever, giving the Texans a break. The best player in the game for the Colts over on the sideline. You give them a break with not having to deal with him, and they would take that all day long regardless of how many times that the Colts have practiced between you know Minshew and, and Goodson. I'm, I'm not at all ripping on the play call. The play call was sound because, as Shane Steichen said after the game, the look was there. The execution was, and I guess one thing I would question about it as well would be how much I think these guys were together maybe one time earlier in a pass play attempt, and it went egregiously haywire too. I just I don't know what look or not why you felt compelled to put all your eggs in that particular basket. I, I get what you're saying. You're saying, hey, it doesn't have to be about Jonathan Taylor. But if you're saying Shane Steichen, is, is, we can like agree with this. He deals in gamesmanship. He's always, you know, jacking around on those fourth down calls to try to get another team and his coach to use a timeout. To me, a part of gamesmanship is making sure that you have the best offensive player on the field for you out there in that situation, even if you're not going to go to him, even if you're going to utilize him. And that's where I find fault in Shane Steichen. That's not, that doesn't mean I don't think Shane Steichen is not going to be a coach in the future. Ooh. But I find, I find fault with that. And here's the other thing. If we reverse this and all of a sudden Frank Reich is the coach again and Frank Reich calls that play and it goes down like that and Frank Reich has 28 on the sideline, people would be all over Frank Reich right now. And that's the difference is it's still a honeymoon period for Shane Steichen. Oh, no. And it wasn't for Frank Reich. Oh. It would be all over him for that. Oh, all we should be him. in a boxing ring right now talking to JMV, the voice <laughs> of sports in Indiana. I'm gonna. I'm going to now give you credit for something. Okay. Tyler Goodson was open. It was there. The play itself was indeed accurate, and Shane Steichen has earned from this this fan base the opportunity to be himself because he actually did get some wins, and guys are actually serious about playing ball. The play was indeed a worthwhile play. And yes, poor execution. But going back to something you have said repeatedly on this show, Shane Steichen gets too cute for the room. He overthinks himself. Is this play one of those moments? I don't think there's any question about it. Don't think there's any question about it. Now, he would counter with this. First of all, he would say, who are you? You're stupid. And I don't understand that. But he would counter with, as he did after the game. We have practiced this over and over again. Tyler Goodson said the same thing. Minshew said the same thing. You, you, like I said, the defense can take a breather, can take a break. And not like, you know, taking a break at work or something like that. But on that play, they know they're not going to have to deal with 28 because he's standing over there on the sideline. 
to me, that was an egregious miscalculation. And if you want to go ahead and put that in the category of being too cute, if you're sticking, I would agree. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. So this now brings us to uh, the, the, the key question. What's next? How upset is Chris Ballard? How upset is Jim Ursay? What is, where are the rebuild pieces? And, and, and is, is it a rebuild? Or is it just now a surgical a strike team putting in the right people in one or two places, like, for example, tight end, where it's obvious we don't have one? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you went an entire season you know, you know, obviously uh, Jelani Woods and everybody thought he was going to be a difference maker. And he had one hamstring and then another hamstring and put those together and he didn't play the entirety of the season. So, yeah, they need time. And, you know, here we go again, uh, back at being a defining player. Here was the major difference, the Houston defining players in terms of Stroud and Collins. It was better than what the Colts had in their defining player in Jonathan Taylor it was clear that they still don't have that threat. I like Michael Pittman Jr. Alec Pierce didn't have a catch in that game. Again, you've got to go back. You need with this group a defining wide receiving playmaker somehow, some way. That still eludes them. And again, I would I want to see Michael Pittman Jr. back, but it is too easy, like we saw on Saturday night. They took him away. The Colts need that threat. And really, it's funny. You look back at the Eagles, and I know they're not a great example now because of the weather playing going into the postseason. But that moment for them was bringing A.J. Brown in. And he's one of those defining playmaker wide receivers to add to Jalen Hurts and to add to their offense you know, with Nick Sirianni then and Shane Steichen being the offensive coordinator. I would have to think, with that experience in Philadelphia, that Shane Steichen, as well as we still know, that that's how far they are away from having that type of definable player, and they still need it. And obviously, Tony, the other thing is the secondary. I mean, the secondary has to be improved. you got to put a lot of focus there um, because it, it – clear. They thought going in this was going to be re- re- rebuilt, and they won to a point where it no longer was going to be just known as a rebuild. But you have to look at that secondary and say there needs to be a lot of work done. I'll tell you another big deal on Saturday night over here, Julian Blackman not being out there. I'd like to think Julian Blackman is in the game on that first play if he's healthy and doesn't so easily buy into leaving Juju Brents on an island against Nico Collins and making that 75-yarder easy for a touchdown to start the game. I thought he was a huge loss. He's a free agent. We'll see if the Colts want to bring him back as well. But that secondary needs a great deal of work. JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. A lot of people want to tell you how homicide is down across the country. Crime rates are are down. It's because the Democrats are doing such great work in the cities. And, of course, we know that's not true. Because if you ask anybody who lives in those cities, they will tell you that lawlessness is through the roof. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The theft is through the roof. Uh, Everything you want at a a Walmart or, or a CVS at a downtown is under lock and key. 
and maybe not everyone, but far too many of them. You gotta, you, you can't just go in and shop like a normal person because the theft is rampant. So the idea that you want to tell us, look how this is down, that is down. It, it may be true, and I'm not saying that you can't say it, but you can't then just say, we're done. How dare you not look at the totality of the picture? There is a bakery in Los Angeles, and this bakery, Ruben's Bakery and Mexican Food, this is in Compton. It was the target of a smash and grab. They used a car, a Kia, to drive into the storefront. During this, they took over the street, this, this mob of people. They drive in, uh, take their car, drive through the door, and then people steal everything. The owners of the bakery, which has been there for 50 years, are saying nobody gets punished for anything. No one's going to go to jail for this. No one is going to be charged for this. Lawlessness is happening. Even if homicides are down, which I would applaud, lawlessness is up and fear is everywhere. How dare the administration or local municipalities not notice this reality, not recognize where the people are in being disgusted by what they see. How wrong that is, which is why local elections matter. Why you got to pay attention. Why these parties, Republicans, you have to run people in these races. You got to fight for something better. This is Tony Katz today.